0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel podcast entitled Delta Applies the Brakes. It is the 13th of August. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons, Alex Byrne, and Asim Kadri. In the early part of this year, financial markets switched their focus from the benefits of reflation, that is, recovery from the pandemic, to rising inflation and its potential to damage asset prices. That focus looks like it could flip again, this time from inflation to a possible check on the recovery and growth. And the culprit? It's the Delta variant of COVID-19. We will look now at the latest wave of the pandemic, cooling of economic reports, and the implications for financial assets around the world. Seamus, could I ask you to put our discussion into context by describing how widespread this Delta variant has become?
1: Yes, hi Lorna. So the Delta variant, this was first identified in India in December of last year and, and within a matter of months this particular variant has now spread to over 98 countries in the world and has become the dominant variant in many of these countries so including US, UK, China and many of the European countries as well. So data is indicating that this variant is now 40 to 60 percent more transmissible than other strains and it's almost twice as transmissible as the original Wuhan strain. It's also significantly more infectious than those as well, and the WHO is calling it the fastest and fittest variant so far. So why is it an issue right now? Well, whilst many countries have been very successful with their vaccine rollout programs, large numbers of their populations remain unvaccinated. For instance, in the US, Delta is now responsible for more than 83% of COVID cases being reported. The infection numbers and the hospitalizations are once again on the rise, and this is even more evident in states where vaccination percentages are low and the Delta variant is surging. So with only half of the population vaccinated, this presents significant risks to the economic recovery and a return to a sense of pre-pandemic normality. And we're not just seeing this in the US, we're seeing this a similar picture in other economies as well. So China, for instance, which has managed the COVID pandemic reasonably well so far, they're now experiencing another wave as well, driven by this Delta variant. So it's very topical right now.
0: Yes. And Asim, Seamus mentioned China there. Could you give us a little more colour on the situation in China and how the world's second largest economy is responding to COVID this time around?
2: Hi Lorna. Yes, yeah, so we discussed previously how last year China was able to control the spread of a virus through severe but effective lockdowns. It was the first in, i.e. the first country to encounter COVID, but also the first out, i.e. the first country to emerge from the crisis and see its economy return to pre-COVID levels. So this effective management of the virus resulted in a rapid economic rebound and as shown by the figures we saw last year but also earlier this year with GDP growing by 18.3% on a year-on-year basis in Q1. However as mentioned in recent weeks the picture for China has become more uncertain and one of the main factors driving this is the ongoing COVID outbreak. So although it's still pretty small in absolute terms with only a few hundred officially confirmed cases the Delta variant has spread to many provinces and local governments have reacted swiftly to control it by tightening restrictions and that's led to a softening of national macro data. So in light of the recent developments, many market commentators have been revising down their Q3 GDP forecast for China. So with Goldman Sachs, for example, cutting their growth forecast for the quarter by 3.5 percentage points to 2.3 on a quarter-on-quarter basis compared to 5.8 previously. Some down revisions there, but clearly it's difficult to size the impact of the recent local outbreaks on activity given how hard it is to predict how the virus may develop moving forward.
0: Yes, you mentioned that sharp rebound in the first quarter. And again, GDP data for Q2 have flagged up these weaknesses in growth. Could you give a little bit more colour on that?
2: Sure, yeah. So compared to Q1, the year on year Q2 growth figure wasn't as positive. Recent weeks have also seen some weakness in the underlying economic activity indicators. So, whilst the headline figure of 7.9% For year-on-year GDP growth for Q2 might appear disappointing when you compare it to that 18.3% figure I mentioned for Q1 earlier. I think in fact it's pretty understandable and to some extent encouraging when you consider the policy stance of the Chinese authorities this year. So in order to not repeat the mistakes of the past, such as after the 2008 financial crisis, policymakers have been focused on the quality of growth in China rather than quantity. So in order to control levels of debt, financial stability and really just to create a more equal society. Policymakers have seen the first half of the year as an opportunity to prioritize structural reforms rather than prioritize short-term growth as has usually been the case. So policy support has been a lot more measured compared to last year and that's really led to that slowdown in economic activity before we really even consider the covid outbreaks I mentioned earlier. But all in all I would say that you know it's a positive that policymakers in China have or seem to have learned from previous mistakes and the starts we're seeing now should be beneficial for China. China in the long term in terms of creating a more sustainable and well-rounded economy.
0: Yes, but it does appear to be a time of transition in China, which we will come onto a bit later. But back to the US, Seamus, we've had inconsistent data in areas such as GDP and unemployment, sometimes falling short, sometimes stronger than expected. But the PMI data are telling a fairly clear story
1: yes so many of the economic data releases in recent weeks have painted a mixed picture so you mentioned the, the Q2 GDP figure this came out a few weeks ago it was significantly weaker than it was expected so only being six and a half percent whereas consensus was expecting closer to eight and a half the jobs data in recent months as well has also been mixed although I would point out that the most recent report that came last Friday that was very strong on most counts also you mentioned that the forward-looking indicators again they've showed mixed messages coming in above and below expectations in recent months. But again, actually, the, the recent print there was a record high in the services PMI. So again, it, it's quite mixed. But what I would say is, for the most part, the data remains strong and is above trends. And markets, they're going to remain obviously very focused on these data points to gauge the continued strength in the economy. But, you know, we are coming out of an unprecedented period in history. And so how this economic recovery plays out may not necessarily follow the same path as previous economic recoveries either.
0: That's a very fair point. And Alex, in Europe, the world's other great economic powerhouse, how did things look over there?
3: morning, Lana. Returns continue to be really strong on a year-to-day basis. They are the strongest major region returns. That's continuing on a quarter-to-day basis as well. we have clearly in the midst of an earnings season. Earnings continue to be very strong, not quite as strong as the US, but on a relative basis, very strong for Europe. Encouragingly, especially from the value and cyclical sectors, so things like energy, banks, resources, autos, all very, very strong. As well as that, the revisions upwards on those earnings going forward remain very positive and it remains very good. Valuations overall a little stretched versus historic. But in value sectors, they're still fairly reasonable. Uh, and this is, again, in the context of an earnings recovery. So we have those beating expectations, which should keep them in check somewhat. Importantly for Europe versus the US, though, I think one of the key things is that inflation continues not to really be a concern. If, if anything, the opposite is true. Kind of like the US, where they've got higher inflation levels, the inflations have somewhat undershot expectations in Europe. With in regards to PMIs, manufacturing are holding their record levels that they've had for, a good six months now, and we're continuing to get that recovery in the services PMIs. And then finally, the overall GDP numbers that we've had more recently have again come in ahead of expectations.
0: So looking at how this is all playing out in financial markets more broadly, Seamus, could you outline the bond market's trajectory after those troubled times in the spring?
1: Yes. So... Back in February and March, we saw U.S. Treasury yields jump on inflation fears and the strong economic outlook. So the U.S. 10-year Treasury reached, I think it was about 1.75 at that point. As the double drivers of big fiscal spending packages and the highly accommodative monetary policy from the Federal Reserve. These had markets worried about an overheating economy. However, though, since then, bond markets have actually retraced much of those yield moves. So only two weeks ago, we had the U.S. 10-year Treasury back down to about 1.15. And many of the European government bond markets, they've been sliding further into negative territory. The whole entire German yield curve is now back again into negative yielding territory. In fact, globally, the amount of negative yielding bonds is back above 16.5 trillion once again. So, um, So yeah, interesting times for the bond markets.
0: Yes. And what are the bond markets signaling to us, do you think?
1: That is a very good question, Lorna, because I think a lot of market participants are struggling to interpret what the bond markets are telling us right now. So with the Fed getting more hawkish of late, in their June FOMC meeting, they indicated they were moving forward some of their estimates for when they would raise interest rates. One would think... you might expect bond yields to rise in anticipation of this. However, yields have done the opposite and they've fallen. Why? I think there's definitely some technical factors at play here. U.S. yields remain attractive on a relative basis to foreign investors. And so in particular, we've seen a lot of buying by Japanese and Asian investors. And this demand has had a dampening effect on yields. And as well, the Fed, they continue to be a big buyer of treasuries. And this is part of their QE program. So the technical aspect is strong. But also there's an element of investors believing that inflation is now going to remain low and that the economy will not overheat. And so the central banks are going to remain accommodative for a considerable amount of time. And so as a result, bond investors are a bit more comfortable with their outlooks right now.
0: And these longer term lower yields in the bond markets do leave room for growth stocks to outperform again.
1: Yes, it does. And that is exactly what we have seen, actually. So in fact, from mid-June to around the time when the Fed had their meeting. And they move forward their dot plots or like the, their interest rate rise expectations. We have seen growth significantly outperform. In particular, we've seen companies perceived as long duration assets. For instance, companies like Tesla, they've done very well as their future earnings, which are you know, looking out 10, 15, 20 years, are now being discounted back to present day values, much more lower yields. So now actually on a year-to-day basis, growth is actually outperforming value once again, where obviously it had been lagging for much of the year, but by a considerable amount as well at one point.
0: Yes, the US market, of course, has very much a growth bias, but European equity markets you touched on there, Alex, are notably cyclical. How have they responded to the suspicion of inflection points in macroeconomic data coming up?
3: Although the recent levels have hit some record highs in Europe, growth has retaken the lead this year over value. So although we've had those excellent earnings and revisions, especially from those value sectors, value returns overall have stagnated. They've become more volatile more recently, and they have been hit by some of these downside periods that are questioning the recovery. Growth has continued to rise steadily, and again, seems like somewhat of a haven for equity investors and bond proxy investors as well so on a quarter to date basis growth is up five and a half percent versus value which is only up three percent but again we've seen that volatility from value and there's been three key things i think that have stunted the recovery especially in europe so the first one is what we've obviously been talking about in this entire podcast which is that concern around delta especially on international which is a very important factor for europe especially from china So clearly the the recent regulatory activity where they've targeted large companies and important sectors is is causing a lot of concern, especially for an externally leaning economy like Europe. And the third thing is the inflation expectations out of Europe. That's also affecting confidence.
0: And all this seems to signal that the growth recovery should continue. There's a lot of
3: positives for Europe. Again, vaccination rates hit that what we think is that critical level where economies can continue to mostly reopen, especially the domestic markets, which are close to where they were pre pandemic levels. Obviously, the international market's still lagging behind somewhat. With that, there is that potential for that savings unlocking that a lot of the central bank members have been talking about. What we've got in Europe is a good barometer in the UK to use going forward for the possible balance between that reopening opening and then the cases and hospitalizations and obviously in the uk we haven't really seen that sustained rise in hospitalizations and deaths which is obviously a very very good positive for the the vaccination level in europe generally we've had a reduction in cases across most of europe and then again the reduction in deaths and hospitalizations uh, mostly under control but as i said before this hasn't really helped the overall confidence level so for europe the important factor is global economy global growth and especially emerging market growth and with coronavirus so far EM and global trade continues to suffer because of the potential for Chinese slowdown and growth because of that regulatory drive that they've had. And also the rise in cases in Asia. Again, an externally leading economy like Europe really suffers from that.
0: Yes. And Asim, Alex, there just mentioned again this regulatory clampdown in China. We've seen the equity markets suffering. It really does seem to be very much an idiosyncratic story for them.
2: Yeah, that's right. So one of the key talking points within China over recent months has been the tighter control that policymakers are looking to exert over certain industries in order to curb anti competitive behavior and also enhance social welfare. So that's predominantly been focused within the tech space, as we saw with the last minute pulling of the Ant financial IPO a few months back. But a couple of weeks ago, we also saw extensive regulatory overhaul of the education sector. And that led to a significant correction across the Chinese equity market, with the market not differentiating between companies or taking into account, business fundamentals, but rather selling off indiscriminately.
0: And that quite a feature of a retail-driven market, would you say?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the fact that the Chinese equity market is so retail-driven has exacerbated the recent selling.
0: Thank you for that. Seamus, could I ask you then to summarise our discussion today, including a sense of how the rising Delta variant is likely to play out perhaps?
1: Sure. Well, one thing is for sure anyway, that the COVID pandemic still remains front and centre and will continue to dominate headlines for the weeks and months to come. Those economies with better vaccination rates are likely to deal with the Delta variant or other future variants better than those countries that are lagging behind here. So we're actually now beginning to see some interesting developments in countries where governments and their companies are trying to have their populations and staff fully vaccinated. So in the US, for instance, you know, we're now seeing companies beginning to take the lead on this, with more and more insisting on their staff being fully vaccinated before returning to work. But as can be seen as well in the UK, countries where vaccination rates are actually high, the impact of the Delta variant is beginning to wane and things are beginning to return or revert to, back to a sense of normality. So I think this bodes well in the fight against this pandemic and for us to progress onto the next day of the economic recovery.
0: Finally, then, how does all this feed into our technical
1: asset allocation? Yeah, we have a pretty benign view on markets at the moment. Whilst recent economic data has been a little bit mixed, for the most part, it remains strong and above trend. And the economic recovery, it continues to be very well supported by these big fiscal spending packages, particularly in the US. We, we just saw some recently approved there last week by US Congress. And also, we still have very accommodative monetary policy. So we expect markets to remain pretty well supported by these factors. That said, markets have done very well this year. They did very well last year and valuations are not very attractive at the moment we prefer to make some of our active calls on a relative value basis so for instance right now we're overweight european equities at the expense of u.s equities so the u.s market has led the recovery they strongly outperformed in recent years however we believe the next phase of the recovery will be led by more cyclical markets and europe is better positioned here for instance in addition as well europe you know that had lagged in its vaccine rollout program earlier in the year but it is now in a much stronger position and we expect economic growth to pick up on the back of this on the bond side we are on the wait bonds we expect yields to rise further from here in addition yields they're so low right now they're very unattractive they're even loss making as well you know we want to reduce or keep our exposure to bonds low we prefer high yield and emerging market debt because we like the additional carry that's offer from these asset classes but also we expect the credit spreads to remain stable there as well to support that nice carry.
0: You've given us plenty to think about there thank you all very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you Lorna. Thank you Lorna.